today here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth with Tyson Grace and Peter Subak from Graybach LLC. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you. Before we get started, I'll tell everyone who's going to be on the show next week. We're going to have Joe Callahan from Callahan & Associates. He's going to be talking a little bit about retirement planning. And we're going to have Bill Case from American Mortgage is going to be talking about some opportunities in mortgages. Then Phil Forbes from First Place Bank on February 7th. On the 8th of February, we have a really interesting guy, Scott T.P. Jr., whose company is called Proactive Safety Systems. Uh, they educate people in construction and all kinds of other industries about safety in the workplace. The next person is going to be on the 14th of February. That's Steve Phillips. From Purple Trout, he's going to be talking about search engine optimization. And then we're going to have Scott Simpson from Precision Staffing Services. And we have a whole lot more people coming up after that. One of the more interesting guys coming coming up is a fellow named David Doherty. He used to be the CEO of Convergis. He's got a new company called Education at Work, where he's hiring college students to onshore work in the customer service call center arena. That's a welcome change. Yeah, I thought it was. When I heard him talk about it, uh, I said, gee, you've got to be on the show. And so we, we're putting him on. He'll be on in uh, early March. Okay. Let's, let me tell the audience a little bit about each one of you guys. First about Pete. I guess you guys are co-founders of the company. That's correct. Would one of you say that it was your idea first? That was both of our ideas, actually. Okay. So, uh, Tyson uh, has a background in, uh, well, Grayback is, for everyone who doesn't know, it's a construction company. Commercial construction. And, and I and I noticed in the book of lists that, you, that you're one of the fastest growing uh, co- companies. What was that, 3,000% growth? Yeah, that's correct, right around there. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time believing it when I saw that 3,000% growth. Uh Tyson's uh, led Grayback to recognition in uh, Inc. Magazine of 2000 on the list of 500. Uh, we made the Inc. 500 listing in uh, Inc. Magazine. It's the yeah. uh, 500 fastest-growing companies in the nation, regardless of industry. So we were one of four companies here in the city of Cincinnati to make that list. And, and two consecutive Business Courier Fast 55 awards. That's not bad. Uh, Fastest-growing construction company. Uh, leveraging more than 11 years of public accounting experience. Uh, Tyson has 
emerged as an astute entrepreneur driving vision and explosive revenue at Grayback by building solid infrastructure back office systems to ensure successive project managers and crews in the field. Um, Solid Foundation is led to carrying out their company's mission, which is to efficiently manage large and small commercial projects and provide construction services that focus on customers' needs, schedules, and budgets. While not working, Tyson is an active committee for the Association for Corporate Growth. Oh, okay. That's the, that's the group that meets on Wednesdays. Yes. Okay. At the Hilton Hotel in the Hall of Mirrors. And is a member of the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. Uh, for fun, uh, Tyson enjoys the lake with his wife and, and two children, volunteers as a church, and coaches his son's football and basketball team. What lake is that? Uh, we, like, uh, we get on the Lake Cumberland. Try and get Cumberland, down there three oh, yeah. or four times a year. I'm lucky if I get to Lake Cumberland one time in four years. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice place, though. And uh, Pete Stabach. Subak. Subak, I'm sorry. I can't read, you know. Close enough. <laughs> Close enough. Is uh, the uh, general manager for the contracting construction. Uh, he spent 15 years managing over $75 million of commercial construction projects. Uh, who was that for, Pete? I worked for Cleveland Construction prior to starting Greybuck. Okay. You put your personal money into the company to start it off. Is that well, we both happened? did. That's a... That's a story in and of itself. But, um, is that we, worth a second to tell the story? It is. Um, yeah, you asked sort of whose idea it was to found the company. When we were uh, we were younger, I'm sort of an accountant by trade, and mm-hmm. you know, accounting sort of, unless you're going to own your own accounting firm, you're not sure how you're going to uh, start your own business. But uh, Pete, having a construction background, always talked about he wanted to start a construction company one day. Mm-hmm. You know, always sort of had this range out there, I want to start one in five years. Well, couple of years go by and we're still at five years and talking about it one night and really just asked Pete like well how much does it cost to start a construction company I'm an accountant I'm a numbers guy I'd like to hear that mm-hmm. and uh Pete sort of there I was like I, I think I need fifty thousand dollars to start it that's a bad guess by the way <laughs> <laughs> turned out to be a little long did it <laughs> but uh yeah so yeah you know being the accountant again I'm like well fifty thousand dollars you're gonna start it in five years you really need to save about eight hundred dollars a month to get there and uh had a couple of beers together and started talking about it. And it's like, well, eight hundred dollars a month. I'm good for four hundred. Pete said he was good for four hundred. We then went and cleared it with our girlfriends and wives. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we shook on it and met the next day at a Fifth Third Bank and opened a joint savings account. And uh, every month on the fifteenth of the month, we each put four hundred dollars into a joint savings account. Um, Pete went full time with Graybach. It was four years and seven months. We had forty eight thousand dollars in the account. So. During that savings time, we both had uh, two kids. You know, I got married. Pete was engaged. He got married during that time. Um, yeah, a lot of changes in our life, but you know, the one thing that we always had was that goal to you know start this company, um, and really we didn't waver from it. Our wives were on board with it, which is a huge asset. Um, yeah, neither, neither one of us missed a monthly payment in that time period, and uh, we never borrowed from it. It was always all about the company. No, that's good. That's good. And uh, how old were you guys when you actually opened the doors at Greybox? Yeah, we've been, Pete's been working there since mid-08, so. Yeah, I, th- I was thir- 31. Okay. I was 31 years old. And we saved for four years prior to that, so I guess it was conceived when I was about 26. 
And then I'm the same age as Pete. Yeah, so. Okay, so. So we're at 36 now. Good. And you, you grew the company from $400,000 in revenue to over $4.5 million. Mm-hmm. The first year, uh, we uh, Pete went full-time in 2008, which anybody's familiar with where the economy was. It wasn't a, wasn't the best economy in the world to start a business, but quite frankly, we didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Um, so we managed to get that. Uh, yeah, we managed to do about four hundred thousand dollars in revenue that year, and you know, here wrapping up two thousand twelve, we're right there in that four and a half million dollar range. So it's been a, it's been a great ride so far. Good. You currently have about eleven empl- full time employees. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Mm-hmm. And you've uh, been ranked. Uh, Fifth and ninth, respectively, in 2011 and 12, and as fastest growing companies by uh, Business Courier. Business Courier. And uh, Grayback, again, was named to the Fortune Inc. magazine's National List of Fastest Growing Companies. Uh, and there you ranked 438. Right. That's a pretty good rating. And that's, uh, uh, that's based on a three year growth. Uh, Inc. magazine puts out that. That listing every year, it's Inc. 500, 5,000. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty excited to uh, excited to have that recognition. Excited to be in Cincinnati and be able to, you know, be a more traditional type company in the construction industry, but you know, show that you can really grow a company in any industry. So that that leads me to the an obvious question: What's the big secret? How do you grow that fast in the construction business? Well, it's customer service, and it's doing what you say you're going to do. I think it's really where it starts and stops. It's a easy thing to say, and it's really hard to do. Um, and if doing what you say you're going to do means you stay up until two in the morning, then that's what you do. Um, it's a it's a huge commitment. It's a lot of sacrifice, um, and it's keeping the goal in mind. Uh, and I think it is important to have goals. Mm-hmm. You guys have uh, individual goal sheets that you use, or a corporate goal. Yeah, we really do more of a corporate goal. You know, we have sort of, you know, we each have our own sort of sort of far out dreams that we want to have one day. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, you know, sort of in a more time timely time frame, we'll have our, uh, you know, we'll put together a budget for the next year. Um, we'll have budgets for, you know, we'll have not a budget, but sort of a goals where we'd like to be in a couple of years, two, three, four years. Mm-hmm. Um, you really think that's important. Mm-hmm. That's important when you're talking with, you're talking with your subcontracts, you're talking with your, you know, your insurers. Um, other folks that want to hire you, you know, when you share some of those goals of where you're going, you know, quite frankly, they want to get on board. They want to be on board with a company that's growing and anticipating growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you give me an example of a project that I might have seen or some, someone else in, in Cincinnati might have seen? Probably most notably would be um, 142123 Race Street. Um, there's two five-story buildings down there that we've renovated in for 3CDC into nine condominiums. Pretty developed area of town now. It gets a lot of attention. I think a lot of people would know that area. Nice condominiums. It's a good project. We'll be finishing up here next month. Good. Uh, you know, another project out there that maybe some of the listeners have uh, maybe been to, if anybody's a UC grad, uh, we've done a number of projects at UC, but uh, in the business college, we redid their uh, main auditorium in Linder Hall. And that was a unique project because you know, I'm a graduate of the business college there. So I'd spent a lot of time sitting in that auditorium, and it was pretty neat to go back and see, not only be there and be the company that's actually doing the work and renovating it, but then seeing what it looks like um, after the renovations are complete. It was sort of a, sort of almost a surreal thing when you're sitting there looking around like, wow, I'm actually working at my college where I used to go to college. Yeah, that's pretty good. 
you guys have agreed to take calls, so if any of our listeners want to call in and ask a question, the number is 646-595-4916. That was 646-595-4916, and we'll be taking calls during the commercial break, so hold on while we get there. How do you guys go to market? How do you find the projects that you that you do? A lot of the projects we do are public projects. I'd say about half of uh, our revenue is in the public sector. So those are publicly posted projects, you know, available for qualified people to bid. That represents half of it. And that was really, you know, that was a big part of getting started. One of the benefits to having a public sector that's doing construction is that if you're the new guy on the block and you have the right qualifications, you can go out and bid, and you don't have to know all the contacts to get started. So right. it's really sort of how we got the first couple of projects to say we now as great block have some experience. Um, but the other part of it is networking, and uh, we like to do a little, you know, it's going out meeting architects, engineers, um, but also putting yourself in a place where you can meet developers mm-hmm. and, you know, meet them in forums that you have a chance to talk to them with associations like ACG or, uh, you know, the Chamber of Commerce has a lot of events that are great for meeting people. Good. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a, a short commercial break here. And, again, if you have any questions, feel free to call in at 646-595-4916. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-646. 6523 or check our website at rothconsulting.net. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Sandler Training by Roth and Associates, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. You've heard our commercials about sales and sales management, but you haven't made the call for some reason. Maybe you're having your best year ever. Maybe you think a sales development company won't work in your industry. You're different. I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Maybe you're afraid that if you called, you'd buy something. If you're happy with all your sales and profits and believe you have all the answers or simply don't see yourself investing in yourself or your people, then don't make the call. We have nothing for you. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, mentoring, business owners, and sales professionals who are serious about their careers. So if you believe that Sandler Sales Training might make you better, faster, meaner, and stronger, call me at 513-646-6523 or register for our next open house. Roth & Associates, the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. You can check us at www.rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Tyson Grace and Pete Subak. So, guys, if someone is listening to the show and they want to contact you, how do they do that? Oh, our website, uh, com or office number 513-381-4868. That would be the best way. 
office number. Good. Before we go much further, I've got to remind Sam the clients about the client summit in Orlando in about two weeks. Thanks. Valentine's Day weekend, February 14th and 15th in Orlando. Title of that conference is uh, No Guts, No Gain, How to Get Tougher. It's going to be a great mind share event. And Ryan Frank, the head of global sales from LinkedIn, will be there. And he's going to explain how his company is using his own product, LinkedIn, to grow their brand and touch 100% of the desirable opportunities. Uh, next week here in Cincinnati, we have a cold call camp. For those of you who make cold calls, if you want to get by other people's gatekeepers, build three strong scripts for contacts and have five ways to have other people call you back more than 70% of the time, uh, call our office, 753-9400. Ask for comments. You've still got a few seats available for that program. Um, now back to Graybach. Uh, have you had the situation yet, guys, where you get repeat business from the same clients? Oh, we have, um, and that's a great feeling. It's, uh, you know, being five years old, uh, it takes a while to get that. Um, but we have we've done some repeat business with um, Cassie Turley. Mm-hmm. Um, that felt good. Uh, we're we're on our fourth job or fifth at UC, like Tyson mentioned earlier. Uh, again, those are publicly bid, so it's not as though they called us to do it. But you know, it's repeat business for the same client, nonetheless. So um, we're excited about our new relationship with 3CDC. Um, we're moving to our second project for them, and you know, hopefully that's um, in line with a lot more to come. So yeah, it's you, a great feeling when it finally, when you do get a call from a client you've done work for. What do you feel is your unique marketing advantage? A unique market advantage. I'm going to go back to honesty. Uh, and doing what you say you're going to do. Uh, and, again, that's that's a difficult thing to do in construction with all the moving parts and all the variables. We think we're really good at delivering, mm-hmm. uh, doing doing what we say, uh, and just being honest to deal with. I think uh, contractors get a bad rap for being dishonest, and people appreciate ones that are. So. Yeah, I think one of the other... Uh sort of things we've been able to deal with is starting the company in 08 when the market was when it was a tough economy, a tough market. Um, Terrible market for some people. You, at that point in time, when you're a new company and you couple it with a bad market, you don't have a chance to make a mistake. You can't mess up a job or you can't have a situation where you disappoint a customer. You have to have every customer you know, appreciate what you do and effectively like what you've done for them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think throughout all our projects, even today, if somebody asks for a referral list, we can go back and say, here's a complete list of everybody we've done work for for the last five years. They didn't call anybody on this list. And it's something that, you know, it's not just, you know, my 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 pursuit. It's not just Pete's pursuit, but it's the whole company. Everybody in the company, our project managers, Nate and Robbie down at the office, you know, the guys in the field. You really need the whole company to buy into that culture that, you know, every client's extremely important, and we're going to treat every client as if it's our only client. Mm-hmm. Now, do you guys have a, a salesperson or business development person in your organization yet? Uh, we don't have an official business development person. I fill that role a little bit with the networking. I do right. a lot more of the corporate networking. Um, you know, as far as 
you know, the other side of the business side of it, Pete's really the one, Pete, and then the RPMs. Uh, if we get a lead or somebody asks us to take a look at a project, they really jump on that and uh, we'll go down and look at it and start putting numbers together, conceptual ideas together on this project. Yeah, I think in a small business, everyone's a salesman. Um, and I think our employees have embraced that. Uh, I think everyone we have has brought an opportunity to us at some point, and a lot of them have, been, have worked out really good. So I think uh, we stress the importance that you know they, they represent us and should everyone should sell. Again, you're only working in the commercial marketplace. We do some residential. We do residential. Um, it will dabble industrial a little bit, but our primary, you know, last year probably 85% of our work uh, in 2012 was commercial. So we'll do, you know, occasionally we do have some uh, carpenters on staff. Um, if you get to a slower point, we'll do a we'll do a small project, you know, small residential project or along those lines. So. What are the opportunities and possibilities that you guys see in the marketplace? It really feels as though there's more work than qualified contractors to do them. I, I feel that it's it's all we can do um, to keep up with the clients that we have. I feel like the workload is good. The outlook's positive. Um, again, when you start in 2008, when everything is tough, I guess it can only go up. Um, but it feels extremely busy. I feel you know, we're in a position uh, to hire a new estimator. Um, we feel that we're not even tapping into the, our full potential, that we actually need more people to uh, service what we could get. So you're actually looking to hire That's correct. more people right now. Yeah, yeah we so work yeah. to get our bonding capacity expanded, um, and we're actually at a point where we can't use all of our bonding because we don't have the people to do it. Um, I, I, we could honestly say that we are currently passing up work because we don't have the personnel to get it done. Um, uh, we're going to add people to fix that, but I think the outlook's just extremely positive. There just seems to be a lot of projects. I think Cincinnati's a great city for development. You know, you look at 3CDC and over the Rhine, obviously the casino, you know, stuff happening at the banks. It just feels like a lot of momentum. Um, in our city, and I think it's unlike a lot of other cities like that. It just feels like a lot of work out there. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing more uh, work to bid on coming in? see a lot of public projects that are coming up for bids. Uh, you know, we sort of have our dashboard at, uh, down at the office that has the upcoming bids, and you know, really finally at the point where we're looking and saying, okay, which jobs are the best ones for us to bid? You, know, you go back to the 08, 09, 2010 time frame, you bid everything that fit in your sort of, you know, in your capacity. So for every 10 jobs that you bid, how many did you win? That's a good question. Uh, I've been using that a lot. You spend a lot of time preparing bids that, that you don't get, and then you, you feel like you could have just played golf for two days straight <laughs> and it got to the same place. So I think that uh, I would say that we probably get two out of 10. Yeah, probably 20%. 20%, yeah. And, you know, so you know, like in the public bid market, yeah, depending on the job you bid, if you bid a job up at the University of Cincinnati, you might have 16 bidders on that. Mm-hmm. And the way those public bids go is you turn in your bid, and everybody turns them in by the same time on the day, and then they open those in front of everybody and read the numbers out. You get the job if you're the low guy. So when you're bidding, it's you know, in the public market, it's all low price. It would be an acceptable bid. Assuming it would be an acceptable bid. Correct. You meet the specifications, whatever they happen to be. 
Right. And most, I mean, most of the people we're competing with that are able to pull those bids, um, that you see are able to pull the bonds, um, required to bid that work. You know, most of those people are going to submit, you know, complete bids. It's not too often somebody submits something that they don't get qualified for. Yeah, and the success rate goes up too when it's a, when it's a, a private client repeat business, like you mentioned earlier. You know, we get a call from a repeat client. That's a job that you bid. You're looking at 70%. Success rate on those only seventy percent. I would say if they call you with a specific project in mind and they called you back based on past performance, it's good odds that you're going to get the project. And the reason it's That's not close to hundred percent. Well, it's still construction, and so people still like to get two, three, four bids on stuff. Um, so if you're a repeat customer with somebody, chances are they've done work with somebody else as well. So they're going to get two or three price quotes. Um, you know, really, our strategy with in bidding that type of work is. We're going to bid it just like we're bidding against 14 people. We're going to go in with the best number we can come up with um, that we're going to be happy to do the job with. Uh, we don't want to lose a job by you know, a couple thousand dollars and look at it. Boy, I would have taken it for that. You know, we go into it like this is the number we'd like to get on the job, and you know we're, not, we're looking to make a killing on jobs. We're looking to keep growing this business. Yeah, consistency is very important in our business too. I think you you go in at at similar margins on everything. So that one day your client doesn't get a huge price because you're busy and a low price because you're not. I think it's important to keep it very consistent across the board. At the low price, right, Pete? At the low price end. Well, <laughs> it's interesting because I teach people, uh, some of them in construction, uh, how to win jobs at a higher price and improve the closing ratio to... Uh, When's your next seminar? We're starting a Sandler Foundations program. <laughs> Uh, for eight weeks at the end of February. We can get you some information on that before you leave. Um, do you see any obstacles in the marketplace? Yeah, you know, one of the big obstacles for us as we've grown, again, it's being a new company, but uh, it's really the bonding insurance. And so everybody's aware of the bonding insurance. That's what, you know, the... You know, some people who are listening aren't from the construction industry, so explain bonding for them. Sure. Um, bonding is it's an insurance policy that you receive that guarantees when we submit a bid on a job and we're contracted to do a job, it's the insurance that guarantees we'll finish that job. If Pete and I were to walk away and we didn't finish the job or, you know, a company goes under, the owners of that construction project, you know, whether it be University of Cincinnati or another customer, calls up the bonding company and that bonding company guarantees that project will be completed for what we bid it for. Okay, so, so it's insurance. It's an insurance policy. Issued uh, to the owner of the project. That's correct. To you guys. Correct. Mm-hmm. We pay for it. You pay. You have to pay for it. Right. And one of the challenges with bonding is, you know, as you win projects, your bonding company will give you a limit. Just like a bank credit line, you have a limit as to how much construction backlog you're allowed to have under their bonding line. Mm-hmm. So if you have, say, a $1 million back, uh, bonding line, if you have $900,000 in backlog, they won't let you bid a job for more than $100,000 because they won't back it beyond that million dollars. So as you start a new company, bonding companies like to see the, they like to see experience. So if you're new, that's a challenge. And then they they also like to, um, they like to see a good balance sheet. You need to have working capital, you need to have equity. They like to see owners that keep money in the company. And really that's what we've been doing. And quite frankly, that's why we've seen our bonding lines increase. 
Mm-hmm. Do you actually have more than one bonding insurance company that you work with, or are you only allowed to keep one? You're only allowed to keep one. Oh. For the most part, it's one. For the most part, means. I think as you get larger, there's there's other types of bonding. There's back bonding, et cetera, but gets in a little more of the nuance. You'll need to get somebody in from uh, Nice Lukens to answer those questions. Okay, well, that's how we get guests for the show. Introduce me to someone. So else. not all jobs are bonded, right? The owner has the option of whether or not they want to require a bond, an insurance policy to guarantee that you'll finish. So we're required to report all of our jobs to our bonding company, bonded or not because they influence our capacity, you know, to do and manage more. So we have to create quarterly reports to send to our bonding company to show them how much work we have. So in the event that you had multiple bonding companies, it wouldn't do you a lot of good because you would have to show everyone all the work you're doing anyway. Hmm. Okay. Makes a little bit of sense. Uh, We're going to talk, I'm going to run a short commercial here from a marketing guy that I know that that we're putting on a marketing seminar uh, late spring. This is going to be in April and May. This is a conversation I had with Tom Manning. This is Mike Roth with Tom Manning. We're talking about your marketing and sales boot camp that you're going to be running in April and May. And the name of the program is? It's called Engage 2013. Engage 2013, and you're going to be running it in Columbus and in Cincinnati. Correct. It's going to be Tuesday mornings for six weeks in Columbus and Wednesday mornings for six weeks in Cincinnati. Okay. And if a company sends their CEO, the CEO comes and he's bringing a chief marketing officer, what would they be getting by attending your program? Well, the first thing we try to do is we try to get the company to develop a story, figure out what their key messages are, what the value proposition is, and come up with their company story. From that, we can actually look at all your marketing materials to be sure they're telling the same story. All your marketing and sales materials. So does your website match your brochures, match your email campaign, and all of your branding? Does it tell the same message? Okay. Does it really have to match? It really does, because what it does is it creates a consistency in the eyes of the end customer or the end user of your products and services. If you are talking about user or prospect here. Well, it depends what your industry is. If you're B2C, it's going to be your customers, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be what your customer sees with your company. Right. If you have different messages, you're actually causing customer confusion. If you're B2B, it's going to be you and other businesses, and you're going to be trying to capture market share. And so are you consistent as to what your message is and how you define yourself in the marketplace? Mm -hmm. And why should someone attend? So what we'll do is we're going to, over the course of six weeks, we're going to help you um, define your your key messages and your company's story. And then from that, we're going to help you develop a marketing strategy and a sales strategy and perhaps a social media strategy that helps coordinate all of that. So people will be consistent at the end. Correct. We're going to actually look at everything from your logo and your corporate identity. Does it match that key messages? Your website, are the messages on your website consistent? Your brochure, your sales presentations, your PowerPoint presentations, your proposal system, your email campaign, your trade show. And naturally, your selling system. And, of course, your selling system as well. Tom, if someone is interested in finding out more, either speaking to you or speaking to you personally, how should they do that? There's two ways. One, you could go to marketleaders.us. Um, that's the website for Engage 2013. You can learn all about the sessions there and the speakers and the time frame and, and 
registration. Or you can call me directly if you have any questions that aren't answered there, and you can reach me at 614-622-1047. Thanks, Tom. In future weeks, we'll be hearing more from Tom about the Engaged Marketing and Sales 2013. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Tyson Grace and Pete Subak. Guys, we have a theory of operation here that I developed over a lot of years in business, owning my own companies, that simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong. And fortunately or unfortunately over the years, I had to solve complex problems. And my lead engineer, who was a physicist, said, Mike, the only way we're going to solve this is with complex solutions. Sometimes that meant expensive. <laughs> and uh, we were very su extremely successful. So I'd like to ask our guests perhaps to, help to talk about a complex problem that you had, that you came up with an equally complex solution, that from a theory of operation we could take out of the construction business and maybe move over to the HR business. Can you think of a complex problem that you solved with a complex solution? Well, you know, as Pete comes up with the complex problem we've had here, you know, with our backgrounds, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, in my background is a CPA, I've worked in public accounting. Pete's background is in construction, um, sort of growing up on the construction side of things. So. One of the inherent advantages we've had as a partnership is we have two different ways of looking at you know, the problems. Um, I can bring sort of the, the you know, not only the accounting side, the monetary side, Pete's bringing a construction angle. And it's really nice because as you're trying to solve a problem, there's a really bright line at the end of what my skill sets are, what I'm good at, what skill sets Pete's are good at. And you know, we're able to leverage that partnership to you know, come up with the best answers. So you a complex problem. That's where it all started. I think the most complex part of a general contracting business is uh, the amount of subcontracts you write, the amount of invoices you receive, and job costing it all correctly during a you know, project that could take a year and at any given interval trying to understand how much money you're making on the project. It's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing to get your hands around all the commitments that you have for any given project, which could include 20 contracts, 15 purchase orders, and miscellaneous vendor invoices. So when you contract for a project, you're hiring subcontractors. Correct. To augment your own 11 employees. Correct. How so, many people might work on a project? It, depending on the size of the project, there could be hundreds. Um, with subs, yeah, a typical project could have 200 people on it. So you um, bring in electrical yeah. guys, plumbers, plumbers, uh, masons, masons, yeah, you know, carpenters. Um, so the challenge is to generate these contracts, understand your committed costs for the project as a whole, mm -hmm. manage your change orders, all the while keeping a grip on how much money you're making in the process. The last thing you want to do is to turn a job over to someone and realize that you lost money on it. So it's very important to know as you go and to be able to forecast how much you're going to make. That's a huge challenge for us. Um, to that end, uh, we've implemented some software that's helped us with that. What software have you implemented? Actually, I think he was a former guest on his show, but uh, computer software. Okay. Um, John, John Mybers, I think, was on your show. Yes. Wallach, local company here in Cincinnati. I was um, amazed when I went over to his place. It's. I, I was amazed as well. I, you know, we found them on the internet looking for software and 
lo and behold, here they are on Harrison Avenue, 10 minutes from my house, 10 minutes from our office. It was a, uh, couldn't believe it. It was, and they've been great guys to work with, mm-hmm. um, guys and gals. Part of what that software allows us to do, again, we have three project managers. It allows from an oversight position for you to look at a project in computeries and get an understanding of it from a distance. So I might not go to that project on a weekly basis or even a monthly basis. We might have 10 projects at one time, but it allows management to see the big picture throughout. And that, that was an important step for us. I mean, if you can imagine lots of managers with their each having their own system of job costing and projecting, and no one really has oversight of all of those until you have a system that puts it together for you. So it's a big step to so this to have that computer ease software is something that you use all across the company. Yeah, for correct. All the projects. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, not only is it a project management software, it's also an accounting software. Um, so we run our accounts payable through the software program. Um, our general ledger for accounting purposes is through the software. Mm-hmm. Um, and it you know it links in everything from payroll when our guys submit their timesheets. Um, you allocate their time to the jobs they work on, and it's real time. The project manager of the job knows exactly how many hours have been to hit to the task on his job that our guys are working on that week. So you actually run the payroll from computers as well? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you said taxes? Uh, tax Payroll taxes are handled through computeries. Um, but yeah, not, we, not all the way out to a tax return. Not all the way out to your uh, federal tax returns, no. But a computer does <laughs> pitching them here. They do. Uh, they do offer a payroll service, which we've uh, started with them. It's been three months now. It's been terrific as well. So it really leveraged in. We have been doing outside payroll. Mm-hmm. Brought the computer software program on in May this year. You know, brought them on to help us with the payroll side of it, and it's really you know from my end in the back office. It's really saved me a lot of time, and it gives. It's not only saved me time giving a project manager a lot more visibility to the manpower that's hitting their jobs. And, you know, it's sort of a win-win all around there. What did you use before that? Uh, probably we used an outside payroll service to do our payroll. Someone like ADP? Uh, similar to ADP. It was through Huntington Bank. They have mm-hmm. a payroll product they uh, they offer. Uh, and then from a software perspective, we started out using QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite frankly, we're getting to the point where we needed something that was construction-specific. Construction and uh, something that was actually reasonable for a small company to implement, and computers met those needs. And it's been, uh, you know, we're still learning. I think any software package can learn a lot, but, um, you know, the longer we've been running it, you know, the more efficient we get. It's uh, We're able to close our books on a monthly basis now instead of a quarterly basis. It's a huge advantage for us when we're trying to figure out how the company's doing um, and really helping us make strategic decisions. You know, how do you make a capital asset purchase, a significant purchase, you're not sure where you're at. You have to wait till the quarter ends. So, um, you know, having this product in place has really helped us not only manage the jobs, but allowed us, you know, to really manage the business better. What kind of capital equipment are you purchasing? Uh, we purchase trucks, um, skid steer, mini excavator, a lot of tools, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of those tools could be five hundred to a thousand dollars. But uh, big stuff, trailers, trucks. Okay, and, and, and where do you keep all this equipment? And it's not on a site, work site. So right now it stays on sites, which is uh, right. which is oh, that's where cool. it should be. 
yeah. on the job sites. We don't want it at the shop. I mean, you just, don't want it at the shop. <laughs> if it's at the shop, it's not making any money. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Uh, you run the company now five, six years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're coming up, uh, Pete's five-year anniversary here will be in a couple weeks. Right. What is the, uh, you have a strategic long-term plan? Well, how about a short-term plan? <laughs> you have a strategic plan. We do have a growth. strategic plan, yes. Good. What's the game point on it? Two years, three years, five years? Well, you know, we sort of have a detailed plan for 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, as you said, you, get, you still have to have a strategic plan. You still have to look out. You know, we look at it a lot from the revenue side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, we'd like to double our revenue growth, you know, in two years. You know, I think this year we're projected we should grow about 75%. So when we look out and say, okay, if we want to double this in two years, what are we going to need to do internally to get there? You know, whether it be, okay, we're going to have to bring on another estimator because we're going to need to estimate more work. Right. If we bring on an estimator to get more work, we're going to need another project manager to help manage that work. If you bring that project manager on, you're realistically going to need one or two more field superintendents to run the work in the field. So as we're looking for this estimator, we know that when we hire the successful person, shortly thereafter, we're going to have to hire a project manager to support them, and almost hand-in-hand goes the superintendents to run the jobs in the field. So, you know, we're always sort of looking out, you know, two years of where we think we're going to be revenue-wise, job quantity-wise. So, yeah, as we're looking out, it's like, okay, well, let's back up to where we are now and what are we going to need to do to get there. So you see yourself two years from now as running about $8 million. In yeah, I think we got an outside yeah, shot. We got an outside shot this year, this in year. 2013. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you see the marketplace is uh, getting better. We it's outstanding. Outstanding. That's great. I've heard that from a, a lot of people, and interestingly enough, you aren't the first guys to say, "Hey, I've got to hire somebody else." Mm-hmm. I think I hear that at least twice a week. It's a uh, it's a great position to be in. It's a lot better to hire people. Hey, I got a call this morning from uh, one of our clients. He was looking for five people. Well, his business is growing a lot of opportunity and it's if you can make the sacrifice to chase it down there's a ton of opportunity out there for everyone mm-hmm. we see that all the time do you see any limitations in the marketplace besides the insurance angle you know i think uh i don't know if there's any limitations in the marketplace itself you know with us you know our limitations is really what's our capacity to do the additional work that's out there we feel that we can bring a really good product to market um we can bring a really good service to our clients, and you know. But that said, how you know how do we have the capacity to go and do it? Are you uh, you guys looking at acquiring other construction companies, or just it's going to be all internal growth? I think for now it's going to be all internal growth. We've we've talked about doing complementary service lines. Do you go out and uh, we've tried a little bit with having a carpentry crew, but you know, really when you start going down that path. You know, one, you got to be really committed to it, mm-hmm. as if you make an acquisition. And two, you got to make sure you have the right people in place to do that. And I think there's a scalability to it as we're, you know, we have 11 employees, we're having a couple great years, but I think we need a little more scale before you start talking about, you know, you know how do we leverage the general contracting piece to, you know, to grow bigger, whether it be an acquisition or whether it be you're going into parallel markets. Okay, let's take a, a short commercial break. If you have a question, there's still time to call in on 646-595-4916. 
Santa Rule number 42. Hi, my name's Kevin Hollenbeck from Sandler Training. I'm here to talk about rule number 42. A winner has alternatives. A loser puts all his eggs in one basket. Many times, salespeople plan and script their pre-call routine. They have a big meeting and they say, you know what, let's work on what's going to happen at this meeting. And they, they even sometimes role play, script out when the prospect says this, I'm going to say that when they do this, and they get all ready. They memorize the script. They practice it, rehearse it the night before. Then they show up at the client meeting, and the client throws them a curveball. They didn't. The, the client didn't know they were supposed to follow the script. The challenge is, is if you don't have alternatives, you end up stuck. It's like having you're, you're, you're a deer in the headlights, looking at, at the lights, saying, "Oh no, what next?" A winner has alternatives. They're ready to to. to deal with variables, they're asking tough questions, they're really listening, and they're staying in the moment, not locked in the past in some sort of a scripted environment. Remember, rule number 42, a winner has alternatives. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Tyson Grace and Pete Subak. Guys, perhaps in the next few minutes, you could give our listeners, other CEOs of companies, a couple of leadership tips. You lead 11 people. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the big things with leadership is lead by example. You know, don't, uh, you know, we have, a, I think Pete and I both believe this, but we don't want to ask somebody to do something that we're not personally willing to do or that we haven't done. Um, you know, if the times need, we're willing to get our hands dirty. We're, you know, we're willing to work late hours. Uh, you know, we're passionate about what we do. I think, you know, sort of leading by example. I, I think it does carry over to the, to the whole team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think follow up's important too. Uh, when somebody asks you a question, you answer it. Um, you represent that you're there to answer questions. Uh, and you're reliable. I think it's very important that employees and clients alike view you as reliable, um, and they view you as someone that works as hard or harder than them. I think it's important to give, to relay the impression that you work as hard as everyone else, mm-hmm. harder. What was the toughest job that you guys took on? Well, yeah, the, the, even the, if it, yeah, you have a lot of tough jobs, some easy jobs. Yeah, we had a couple of those jobs, the first jobs we we won, right, when we the company's out of the gates. We thought we had a few jobs in the bank that, you know, we since learned that there nothing's in the bank till it's signed. Mm-hmm. Um so we had a couple of little hiccups right when right after Pete went full time. And really we got to the point where it's like, okay, we're not winning jobs. We just got some bonding. Uh very small bonding is like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in construction that's not much money to Bit of construction small, project. Small sidewalk. It, it's it's not much, and uh, really we're down to where there's two jobs out there that were under two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That quite frankly, we had to win these, or we're going to have to go back and reset things and um, save a little more and come back in a few years. But uh, I think some of the toughest jobs uh, we took on were ones that we thought we had, did a lot of legwork, and didn't get. 
Uh, that's a hard that's a hard thing to do. I I think there was a few jobs that we pulled into the office that were on the top end of our current bonding capacity, put the price together, and it was over our bonding capacity. We couldn't turn our bid in, mm-hmm. and I think that's just deflating all the way around for for from everyone top to bottom. Uh, so the toughest jobs, I think, uh, a lot of them were just ones you didn't get. Um, I think we've had great success in the field, and we've got a whole list of really happy clients. Uh, they're all hard, you know. That's that's why we're in business. It's a hard thing to do to build something. Were there any jobs that you won that you're sorry you you won, and if you could do it all over again with no bid? Yeah, I don't think so. It's like we've had jobs that are really difficult, but you know, you look back on it, the difficult jobs are the ones that you learn the most on. The knowledge that you gain from doing it actually makes the job worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, I think there's different levels of you know when a job doesn't go well. You know, a job can finish on time, you know, on budget for the owner, you know, a great product. But the steps to get there internally, you know, we expect things to be perfect when we do them. And when thing when you have the hiccups because it is construction and you have up to you have 200 people on a job site throughout the course of a project. You're going to have your hiccups, and you know I, I think you know so internal as we look at jobs that go well or not, all our jobs have gone great. Um, it's really how do you get through those hiccups, and quite frankly, how many do you have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, and really in dealing with those. Is there any one job them. that you guys are most proud of? I think it might it there's it might be the first one we we did, um, and I think that job meant so much to us at that time, mm-hmm. and. Um, I remember turning a, a bid in for that, and you had to write how many days it was going to take you to complete it. And, and this was this job, so everybody knows, uh, it was a district office for uh, Fayetteville Schools. Yeah. Um, you what had kind to, of schools? For Fayetteville, Fayetteville, Ohio. Oh, Fayetteville. So, yeah, a smaller, sort of a ranch-style type office. Um, way out of the way place. It wasn't close. So when we turned our bid in... Um, we, you had to write how many days it would take you to complete the project, and we put 90. And the next closest bidder or the next closest days were 150. And I remember that the people in the room kind of chuckled, and I don't think they realized how excited I was to do it because we actually had a certificate of occupancy in 89 days. And I'm still that's still one of the proudest uh, projects on our on our on our, on our resume. You know, what's been neat is as we've grown, you know, the projects have gotten larger. And you say, which of those, which projects are we most proud of? Well, give me two months, and the project I'll be most proud of is this bakery loss project. It's going to be wrapping up here in March. Um, we have a bakery loss. Bakery loss. That's a the condominium job we talked about. Okay. On Ray Street. Oh, but without a name, now it's got a name. Yeah. yeah. Now it's got a name. Um, That's but, a strange you know, name, bakery. It's it used to be an old. It was, an old, it was an old bakery a long okay. time ago. Yeah. Um, but in, in March, when that job's wrapped up, we turn it over to the owner. That's going to be the job I'm most proud of. Um, we're doing a couple, uh, a big job and then a sort of tag-along job with it out at, for Sycamore Schools. Uh, they're building a new elementary school out there, Mapledale Elementary. You know, when that job, when that district office wraps up, which is about a 12,000-square-foot building, pretty proud to go out there and look at that job. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's really as we've grown, the jobs continue to get bigger and you go and you look, it's like, wow, we were able to do that. You look at your PM, you ran that job. You look at, you know, Nader or Robbie, and you look at our superintendent on the job. 
your superintendent Tony's down at uh, the bakery lofts. It's like, wow, you guys put that together. That's, that's amazing. Especially from, you know, as I'm an accounting background. I look at what they've done. And I'm used to cranking out paper, not huge buildings. And yeah, it's pretty neat when you go out there. You're proud of what you, it's proud, it, you're proud to see your name hanging from the building. You know, whether it be a flag or. So when you're doing the, the, the bidding for a job, the take, you, you take, you're working with an electronic plan room. Is that what's happening? Uh, we usually get hard copies of plans. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually use Excel to do our bid summaries. We have a big screen in our office that we all gather around. It's hanging on the wall. We put the bid summary up on there. I think the majority of bids that leave our office get three or four people involved with them at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like to get second and third sets of eyes on everything before it goes. Mistakes can be um, costly. Yeah, and it's kind of fun. It, you know, those are they're yeah. stressful days. Bid days are stressful. That usually they're attached to a bid time. So if you're a minute late, they don't accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's stressful, but it, it, you know, there's times you look forward. You look forward to the stress. It's fun. I think to give some, uh, yes, yeah, give some clarity to what a bid day is like. And yeah, you know, it's really for any general contractor, especially doing public jobs. If you have a fixed deadline at two o'clock on a Friday, that's when the bids do. Well, you're collecting bids. You know, we're not doing all the electrical work or the, you know, the mechanical work. Yeah, your subcontractor come in and say, hey, this is what the electrical work. Correct. So you have those folks coming in giving you pricing. Mm-hmm. But we can't put together our price till we get their numbers. So we're giving a price for the whole project. So on bid day, as you get closer to that deadline, you know, all those people are submitting their numbers to you because they don't want to sit them too, submit them too early because mm-hmm. they're afraid the competitors will see and undercut them. Right. So that last hour, the last 45 minutes of bid day, it's just crazy in the office because you have everybody's numbers coming in. You have to verify the scope. You can't just look at the number and say, oh, it's a plumber. It's a plumber. It's good. You actually have to look to make sure he's got everything in his in his number. you got to print it out, put it on paper, and, and run it down to the public yeah. authority. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, usually a person taking the bid in. You know, sitting outside, sitting outside with all the other GCs that are there, and you see everybody sitting out in their trucks waiting for the phone call. And they get the phone call, and you see them. You know, madly writing down numbers. You're working on your number about two minutes, five minutes before it's due. They see when everybody gets out of the trucks about two minutes before it's due, they get running in and submit the envelopes, and then everybody sits there and waits to see how good the number is. It's uh, it's unique. That's what I was just saying. It's interesting process. Uh, yeah. Just out of curiosity, have you, we had uh, IPS on the show, Integrated Protection Services, yeah. about, you know, Andy Boyd and Gary? I met, um, I wish I, I remembered his name, but I met, uh, one of their business development the guys last night at the business courier gala. Oh, Andy, tall guy, bald hair, glasses. Yeah. And they've done a few projects for us, um, some special fire protection in IT rooms and Ansel systems and kitchens. Right. Well, yeah. We're training their whole team. It's a good business. Yeah, they're they're in our uh, corporate program, so we've trained everyone. Literally starting with the receptionist, up through the business developers, project managers, sales managers, and management. Hmm. How's that? How how does that work? You know, as you're training, you know, do you tailor the training to the role that people are in the company, or? Well, I guess the simplest thing to say in, in the time remaining is that it's long-term positive reinforcement. Okay. We assume that we're starting. Sometimes people have someone from Alpha Centauri on the on the on the company payroll. 
and he learns or she learns in one attempt. Most human beings take multiple repetitions to learn things. And we take everybody through the same system. So everyone on the team knows what it means when we say, did you do the budget step? Okay. Knows the questions. The sales manager knows what the salesperson or business developer was supposed to say. We talk about bonding and rapport. And we talk about how important it is to have the right upfront contracts or what are the right upfront contracts for your company will be different than, the, say, a parking company. Mm-hmm. And Sandler developed the only psychological system of selling that's transmitted human being to human being in a logical, progressive manner using long-term positive reinforcement. That really is the big trick. In, in two weeks, for instance, we're doing a, a management program on hiring and onboarding. What are the 100 questions you ask every applicant so you, that you get a fair comparison? Right. So the scope is the same. You always want to hire the best. In fact, today people tell me that if you don't hire the best, you wind up paying half a million dollars for not hiring the best. If if you don't get the right person in a spot, it's a it, it's it's a tough it's a tough deal. It right. can be very expensive. Right, guys. I think we're just about out of time here. I want to thank you for uh, coming in to do the show with us. I'm going to. Uh, give you a Sandler book, The 11 Sandler Success Principles. This was a follow-up to the uh, Dave Matson book, uh, The 49 Sandler Rules, and that went to number one on the bestseller list last April. Well, an easy read, and we can talk more about it. Thanks again for being on the show. Thank you. Scott, Mike, thanks for having us. Why don't you take it away? Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.